This podcast is brought to you by Texture.com. Check it out. You can get any magazine you want digitally, offline, or online. Basically, people call it the Netflix of magazines. You can download it to any device. And good magazines, too, not just some random ones. You can get Entertainment Weekly, ESPN, Sports Illustrated, Traveler, uh, Shape, Bon Appetit if you like to cook, Vanity Fair. Check it out in our show notes. Again, texture.com. That helps us out keeping this podcast free for everyone. And their offer right now is you can read all summer long. Well, I know summer's halfway over by now, but three months for just $10 long. Just check our show notes and uh, give texture.com a try. Now on to the show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Matt Kennerly is joining me, Jeremy Moss here, Mount Westwire on collegefootballnews.com. Talking Air Force Falcons, the Zoomies tonight. Probably. Is that a good name? Is Zoomies the correct term for them or not? <laughs> I'm pretty sure it is. I mean, anybody, any Air Force fans out there either, you know, nodding in approval or screaming at their headphones right now. If we're wrong, let us know. Dwayne, let us know. I, I hope you still listen. Let us know, Dwayne. But we're talking Falcons. We're at the point where we are in the middle of fall camp. When this podcast airs particu- particularly, we are... What are we, two weeks out from the regular season? Two and a half weeks? We're within 30 days, I can tell you that much. Well, we already are now, but this is still two weeks away from being posted officially. That's true. doesn't matter. we got our top 50 countdown going on, so thanks for everybody who's sharing that at MWC Wire. Let's uh, hope at this point, I, I kind of begged today for Twitter followers at MWC Wire. Do you think we'll have 1,000 followers on Twitter by the time this show officially airs? And we're sitting no. at 6.05. And no? No. That's a quick no. That is ambitious. <laughs> tell your friends about us. Yes, tell your friends at MWCY, Facebook, Twitter, everything. Uh, sure, fine. You'll be the naysayer. I'll say we'll be close, but not getting it. What would you put our over-under in two weeks by the time we're... Okay, because we're recording this July, 31st, July 30th. This will air, what, August 14th or so, August 15th? Mm-hmm. What do you expect us to have? 900? 800? 678 oh man under fine pessimist slow, slow steady growth and we should probably also mention because we haven't mentioned it on the podcast in a while that we also have a twitter account dedicated entirely to the latest in mountain west recruiting so if you're already following mwc wire great but be sure to give us a follow at mwc recruiting all one word as well Yes, do that. We got a lot of recruits following us. Maybe we'll get into the habit of getting some interviews and keep our DMs open. So if you want to send us a message about recruiting, go ahead and do that there. What it what it technically is at the moment, a lot of retweets from the guys from like Brandon Huffman or Blair Angula or Brett Biggins, all some scout guys. That's kind of where we're, we're sending the tweets from. When we do articles, they'll be there as well. We'll follow you. We uh, let's get let's get into this now since we're discussing recruiting. Um, what's your thoughts of the new Fresno State football recruits Twitter handle? Um, well, if you have, if you didn't see it on Twitter the first time around, I like the hashtag, which I believe would, is, it's Bulldog Bread with the one and the eight blended in there, it is, which yes, works better than it does in a lot of other places. Like the, the, you know, the eight is B shaped and that helps, mm-hmm. but I'm not a fan of the Twitter handle at dog wired dudes. They could have just called it Fresno state recruits. Hawaii, Hawaii calls it Hawaii recruits. Utah State calls it Utah State recruits. Boise State. 
I don't know what to tell you. So let's do a test. You said it should be Fresno State recruits. That's what I would have done, yeah. Let's see if it's taken real quick. Oh, this page does not exist. This this is really riveting podcasting. I'm just saying. I was, I was just I was just curious because sometimes there's a reason if a handle's not available, you want to be handle and it doesn't matter what they choose or not. But if people are searching Twitter, you're not gonna find. You're not gonna search for dog wire dudes. You're gonna search for Fresno State recruiting, and so it's a yeah. missed opportunity. And I blame Jim Bartko and Jeff Tadford for that. <laughs> too much too much focus testing, I think. Exactly. Let's get creative. Let's do something cool. True. At least their name on there, what appears is Fresno State. Why do they go with the underscore if it's not their handle? It's just in their name. That's a very good question. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff I want to know about Fresno State recruiting, but because a lot of people put, like, you could change your appearance name. That's how you get those fake accounts. But the underscore seems um, unimportant and not necessary in your actual appearance name. But let's get on the Air Force. We don't need to talk about Fresno State. If you want to hear about the Bulldogs, listen to about two or three shows ago where we uh, discussed uh, Jason Virgil and Keyshawn Johnson, who Keyshawn's number 50 in our countdown. We're probably about at 20 at the moment, but keep retweeting and sharing those and tell us how wrong we are for picking, for over overrating your rival's favorite player. Exactly. Alright, so let's get to Air Force Falcons. They are a team that is always an interesting team just because Service Academy, triple option. Well, sorry. I shouldn't say triple option. They are a run option team with triple option elements. And pretty much forever, they're always a pretty good team. Like, they're always going to win almost every year. Like, minimum six games. And I mean, out of the that's past... That's exactly the truth. Like, aside from their 2-10 year in 2013, they've won at least six games every year for the past decade. Yeah, since 07 till now, they've had two losing seasons. One was a 6-7 and seven bowl year and only missed a bowl game once. And that's been in Troy Calhoun ever since he took over from Fisher to Barry back in the 07 year. So a bowl game. So when you see the over-under, was it at, I believe, four games? Is that correct? Air Force was that? To me, that's too low. Yeah, because the main thing, the reason they're that positioned, I guess, betting-wise, because, again, it's where they think money's going to come from, is because we'll get to the defense secondary like we always do, but they lose 10 of 11 starters, and that's probably where it comes from, for stemming that low of a, a prediction from the, I think it's South Casino that had that. But offense, they're always going to be fine. Like, there's rarely an exception, exception, exception where they're terrible or not very good. And I think last year, we'll get into right now, Aaron Worthman, he came in halfway through the year. He actually made the offense look much better over a Nate Romine. Yes, he did. And I you know, I had the chance to see him firsthand come in off the bench and basically change the Falcons season. You know, through that point, you know, they were okay running the ball, but they weren't quite the kind of offense that you would have expected them to be. They had, you know, some some peaks and valleys in the first half of the year where they performed really well against you know, Abilene Christian and Georgia State and struggled a little bit, you know, even though they won some games against Utah State and Navy. And then they had that funk in the middle of the year where they ended up losing three games. And then, you know, of course, Nate Romine gets hurt. Worthman comes in and the rushing offense kind of takes off from there. You know, they lost or they won rather six games to end the year. And, you know, 
at least the offense was a little more consistent. Like they had, they did manage at least four yards of carry for the rest of the year, and they had a couple of really big performances down the stretch that I think kind of hint at what their ceiling can be. You know, especially in November when they ended up winning, you know, two pretty critical games against Colorado State and San Jose State. They averaged over seven yards of carry in those games. And yeah, they... and I think that, you know, they could be even better if they have that guy under center who we know is going to be explosive and worthman. But, you know, they're replacing some key people on that offense, too, that we can't ignore. Well, yeah, John Robinette's being the biggest one. Or being the uh, deep threat and catching everything that goes his way. And one thing, too, I noticed, like, Romine was a better passer than Worthman, I believe. It's hard to t- Well, right. yeah. You don't <laughs> think so? You don't think so? Well, no. Worthman's completion percentage was, like... Oh, sorry. I'm lo- Ten points higher. I was looking at something else here. Maybe I'm not mistaken. So, scratch that from the record. I'll just delete that. Probably not. But let's just stick with uh, losing, like, Robinette. Not that they pass much, but... We know there's the issue deal. Like he's not gonna be in training camp with the last second change, with the uh, D- Department of Defense ruling all that stuff. For these guys can't pursue a pro contract. We've seen was it Jackson Giff recently had his last minor league start before appearance appearance before he now has to go to whatever camp he is for basic service or whatever it's called or whatever he's doing to ser- service commitment to basically pay back the university for the education. So he's gone, and it's a huge loss. Clearly. And I don't think the offense is going to be much different. I would say the passing yardage probably won't be the same. Just because Robinette's their best. Would you say he's their best receiver probably ever in Air Force? Um, he, well, considering he left the school as the all-time leading receiver, I think that's a pretty fair argument to make. Exactly. So, they, like, the passing game will – maybe he's like Tim Jefferson a couple years ago where he throws well, but maybe it's going to be spread out a little bit like you'll have – because if you look at the catches – Robin at 35, which isn't very much, but everybody else combined didn't even, I don't even think they even had that many catches. So well, they'll, if they have the, a guy. Of the guys coming back, they didn't have that many catches. Well, yeah, oh, yeah, good point. True. And they have a lot of young, well, not younger guys, but inexperienced guys. But there'll be somebody who's there, but I just don't think they'll have, like, the deep threat guy overall, unless you count. Okay, we should not discount Ronald Cleveland, who averaged 40 yards per catch. That, yeah. <laughs> Four catches. Well, I mean, what's going to be interesting is, you know, if they have that big play guy, is it going to be kind of a, a short, speedy guy like you might find in New Mexico, in you know, in a guy like Cleveland? Or is it going to be a big, rangy guy that's somewhere else on the two deep, like Jake Makovich? I'm not totally certain that the, that the passing game is going to drop off that much. But... You know, I was looking, I wish I had the frequency of big plas plays that they had last year because, you know, Robinette, you know, even though he only had 35 catches, he averaged almost 28 yards per catch. And I don't know that they're going to have one guy that's going to be able to do that. So it's going to be really interesting to see how those big plays kind of distribute themselves going forward. Well, if you look at last year, just going by yards per catch, everybody averaged over 20 yards per catch with the exception of... Um, Shane Deverne, that's not there anymore. Robin at 27.4, guy 21.6. We mentioned Cleveland, 45, 40.5. 24.22, 20 yards per catch. So they're averaging well over 20 yards per pass, per completion. So it's just going to be depending, like, 
it's I, I'm pretty sure it's you know, I think we can both agree that there's no not gonna be one guy he's gonna do what Robinette did but there could be a guy with 15 catches here 10 catches here and they only completed overall what 68 69 passes all year or 68 passes all year they're, are they gonna get about mm-hmm. 75 so it's not gonna be that much but if Worthman's like like you mentioned pointed out to me because I was wrong it's completion percentage being nearly 60 percent. It's it's not going to like here's maybe we're emphasizing too much in the passing game because the running game is going to be great what it is. I think the passing game is like an added bonus where you get those kind of off the cuff sixty yard passes or forty five yard passes because no matter what the safety or cornerback is going to take a step in when they get tired of covering the wide receiver the exact same way every single time. Okay, so maybe we should frame it like this. Because I went and I looked up kind of you know, what their big passing plays looked like over the last few years. Last year, they had 23 catches of over 30 yards as a team, which was good for fifth in the conference. The year before that, they had 22. And back in 2014, they had 19. So maybe a fair question would be, you know, are they going to have over or under 20 pass plays of over 30 yards this year. What do you think? What did they have last year again, you said? Last year they had 23. I'd say under. Because you lose your, like I said, the best receiver ever who averaged 20 yards in a, attempt, a catch. See, I think it'll be close. I mean, it's hard to really say. Well, I, I'm not going to say it's like it'd be 12, but I, I you said 20, I'd say they'll have a couple less because you lose Robinette. Yeah, I guess that's a fair point. I think they'll be okay. Like, they get some guys. Like, it's crazy the efficiency rate. Like, Cleveland, four catches, three touchdowns. Mm-hmm. <laughs> two two touchdowns, eight catches for uh, McVay, running back. So, maybe he'll get a few more catches here and there. But I don't – I just don't – I don't know why we're kind of sounding negative on the receiving game. It's not their strength. They'll be – I think they'll be fine with a better passer in the backfield there. But the running game, there is a concern because of they lose their three best rushers outside of Worthman. And then Romine is back there as well, but he's not going to be starting, clearly. He's just going to be there. Their leading rusher is McVeigh, who's really good. He had 10 TDs on the ground. Do you expect him to have something like... They didn't have a 1,000-yard rusher last year, which is kind of odd. Do you expect him to get over 1,000 yards and kind of be the name people talk about more and more for Air Force? I mean, I don't see why not, just because of the fact that, you know especially once Worthman came in to run the offense, his production kind of took off a little bit as well. Like, I'm trying to figure out what he had kind of later in the year. Yeah, because especially because he took on a role, a more prominent role later in the year. Like, in four November games, he averaged nine and a half yards per carry. Did you realize that? That's very good. <laughs> I did not realize that. I mean, granted, he's he's probably not going to do that again. But you know, well, but, if, but he averaged eight and a half for the whole year. That's true. He, he and, averaged more than Richard McCourt. Well, McCourt didn't do that well, but he was only behind Terry and Gibson. Yeah, and I mean, if you if you consider where he played the bulk of his games, which was in October and November, you know, even in October he still averaged over five point eight yards per carry. If he can do that over the course of an entire season, he's going to crack a thousand yards easily. The questions I have, you know, obviously, you know, he's not going to be the kind of guy that gets, you know, 200 carries because that isn't really how this offense is designed. 
So I'm curious to see, you know, what the two guys in, who are listed at least right now at the fullback position, Parker Wilson and Jacob Stafford, what they can bring to the running game because, you know, losing big guys like Shane Davern and DJ Johnson isn't a small thing. You know what I mean? Or Jacoby Owens, too. Yeah. I mean, I think what the it, tailback it, position is probably going to be fine, but they're going to need the fullbacks to do something. And, you know, Wilson averaged over six yards a carry, but he only had 16 carries last year. They're going to need him to, you know, fill his role as best as he can in order to really make this offense be as explosive as it can be. Do you want to know something interesting here? What's that? McVay averaged the exact same 8.53 last year and the year before. Interesting. He only had 51 carries in 15, but still, I'm like, I'm, I'm looking at CFB stats. I'm like, am I the right page here? I'm like, yes, I am. So let me put it this way. If there's going to be a 1,000-yard rusher, who's it going to be? Would you pick McVay or Worthman? Oh. I mean, if I had to choose just one, I would probably choose McVay. But it wouldn't surprise me if Worthman had, you know, enough action on his own to be able to crack that because... You know, he only had eight games last year, basically a half season as a starter, and he averaged over 100 yards per game in his time as a starter. So that would not surprise me in the least if he was able to pull that off. Okay, the last 1,000-yard rusher was Jacoby Owens. He did on 204 carries in 2014. Mm-hmm. That would be – McVay had, what, 80 carries last year? Uh, 83, yeah. Do you think he'll double that to get almost double to get to maybe 150? Oh yeah, I think that's probably where he's going to end up. Yeah, because McVeigh's also not Owens. McVeigh's only five nine, one ninety. He's a tiny guy back there. Mm-hmm. So it's I just wonder who's going to be the next guy. But I like the fullback thing because Parker Wilson's probably going to be the guy. You got Stafford, like you mentioned. It's because that's a keep like in this offense. That's a key position because. It's not like Navy who does a fullback dive over and over, or Army, or even Georgia Tech. But, like, when we talk about Air Force football, you, you're always playing your position no matter what, on de- playing against them on defense. Like I mentioned before, your receiver, you always guarded the one guy, no matter what, he's going to block or hold you when they're doing the um, sweep or the option to your side of the field. Safety is mm-hmm. always going to watch a certain guy. The linebacker and nose tackle always got to go for the fullback dive every single time. The one time that nose tackle or defensive tackle decides to, oh, I'm going to let the fullback run through me and play the quarterback, that's the time he gets the ball and rumbles off 25 yards. Oh, yeah. So they need a guy. It's probably, if you know Air Force, it's not, not groundbreaking analysis or anything, but that's why they need a good fullback to either just, it's a fortune to take the beating every play, and they may only get five, I guess, well, five or so carries per game. I'd say the fullback position somewhere in there. Because last year, yeah. He had, well, 116 from um, Shane last year, Shane DeVern, as a fullback. So, Or even DJ Johnson, I guess. They had a lot of rushes between those two, but they're going to have a lot of carries. And so it's just a lot, also a lot of carries. I would say a third of those actual carries were him just knocking somebody over, trying to make some room somewhere as a blocker. Mm-hmm. But the fullbacks can get like good yardage. Just because you're fullback doesn't mean you're going to be, oh, here's a goal line carry here and there. They need a guy to be an actual good rusher on this team, and they've always had it. So there should be, like, what's your concern level? Hardly any for the running game. It's business as usual. Or they maybe need to find a second guy behind McVay because 
they don't really have a guy. What, Malik Miller? He hasn't really played ever? I'm not totally concerned with this offense because, yeah, they've got guys who are going to be stepping into more prominent roles who had, you know, spot action last year. But, you know, I, I, I kind of like their potential to be more or less the same kind of offense they were last year because, you know, even though they didn't have a 1,000-yard rusher, they did have four guys who ran over 600 yards, and they had seven guys who went over 200 yards on the year. And if you go back kind of through the annals, that's kind of what their offense has been more often than not. You know, you know sometimes they have, you know, a feature back like, Cody Getz or Asher Clark, but then they also have, you know, Connor Dietz and John Lee behind him, and or, you know, Mike DeWitt and Tim Jefferson running the quarterback position. So, you know, even though McVay is probably going to be the guy, you know, not only as a runner, probably as a receiver every so often, probably as a returner as well, I think that, you know, the guys like Wilson and Stafford and you know those kinds of guys. They're they're probably going to be just fine because they don't need them to be thousand. They don't need everybody to need be thousand yard rushers. They just need them to be able to average you know four and a half five yards per carry, and that's pretty much what they've been doing the last few years to high degree of success. Okay, that's very true. One thing I forgot to mention since we now have like depth charts and stuff out. Let's go back to receiver really quick. Ronald Cleveland's going to be the starter taking over Ropeness spot. Yeah, and then also you have uh, Tyler Williams, who's uh, looking to be that Z receiver. And looking up here, it looks like I'm um, going from the Colorado Springs Gazette. This will be a new position for Cleveland, who didn't really line up at that spot last year. Mm-hmm. So it's just something to uh, look out look out for. Uh, so the offensive line, I know a lot of people who played against Air Force and they hate it, because, the defensive guys, because all they do is cut block you every time. Mm-hmm. So, and that's part of it too. When your biggest offensive lineman is, um, they're lucky James Rash is six four two ninety, but everybody else is between the two fifty and two eighty range. They do lose a couple of starters and two honorable mention players, including a Dylan Vell at center and a Colin Sandor, their uh, excuse me left guard. The one thing about Air Force, despite them replacing a couple of starters, if you look at their like what class these guys are going to be in, it's always junior or senior. Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't matter. Like, oh, I've only played, like, for example, you have offensive lineman Ryan Beveridge. He's going to be a senior. has one career start, but he's a senior. Everybody else with no starts or games played at the bottom with very little production, but they played in a bunch of games, or they're on the junior varsity team their freshman year. They're all upperclassmen. And so with them replacing talent, it's not as a big deal compared to other teams who are still maybe it's still a junior coming in. But the academy, it's they they get a lot of experience as those younger guys on the JV team playing a couple of games here and there. But it's always an upperclassman stepping into fill a spot before. So even losing a couple offensive linemen, I'm not con- really concerned. Maybe a game or so here and there to get things going. But they should be should be like I said, what they've always done. There shouldn't be any hiccups really. Yeah, on the mean, offensive it, line. It is interesting. I think that you know the two guys they're replacing are the two guys kind of in the interior of the line. Um, you know, Beveridge and Griffin Landrum. And I'm wondering if, you know, if they are a little bit slow to hit the ground running, whether that can affect this offense hitting its stride sooner rather than later. Because they did have a similar a similar kind of problem, like I said, in, you know, establishing a really efficient running game early in the year. 
So I'm curious to see whether they'll be more, whether they will be able to be more explosive, kind of like they were in 2015, because, you know, in the same way that we discussed it with the passing game and how explosive it was, and you know the questions we have about how that will replace Robinette's production. On the flip side, you know, Air Force only had 13 plays of more than 30 yards on the ground last year. And I'm interested to see whether they can get back up to where they were in 2015 when they had 20 plays like that. Because, you know, even if they don't have a guy on the outside like Robinette, if they can find a few more plays on the inside where they break long runs, that could more than make up that difference. Yeah, it'll be something to see because I'm not entirely sure who's going to take over what position, but I, I don't know, I'm some opinion that, yeah, you lose a couple of guys and like, look at what they did last year. They weren't their only games they really struggled with were Navy and out Wyoming, mm-hmm. where they combined for not even 300, just over 300 yards, 170 and 149, under three and a half, four, four yards per carry. So outside of those two games, they were what they normally were, like getting 300 versus Boise State, seven yards per carry against CSU and San Jose, or getting, like, uh, New Mexico, whatever, five yards per carry. Georgia State, same thing, five and a half yards per carry. It, I just until they like they don't do it, I'm like I'm like there's no point going up against Air Force's offense. Oh, they're gonna struggle just because. Like even going back to the year they weren't very good. They were still a pretty good rushing team when they won two games. Mm-hmm. What year was that? That was uh fourteen. Twenty thirteen. No, twenty thirteen, sorry, I'm one year off. Like even looking at twenty thirteen, they still had thirty touchdowns and almost five yards per carry. Multiple games over three hundred yards. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's like with any offense that's like this. It's so unique. It does, and they run this. They've what? They probably have seriously a, not even a dozen plays, but it's the same formation, same blocking scheme. But the play could be flipped or reversed one way. Instead of having two receivers on one side, you have split receivers. They could probably have like like not very many plays, but there's a, a tweak to the formation where it messes up with the defense every time. Where like I said, the receiver set up maybe a tight end in motion or something. But they run the same handful of plays. Like, if you watch an Air Force game, the plays aren't very difficult to know what's coming. It's just when they have a different formation, it's like, well, what's what could this be? And so there's only a finite number of plays you really need to learn. And maybe with the inside interior, that could affect, like, the dive plays, which could be a big deal early on. But Alex Norton, who is going to be at center, he has 20, 20 career starts. They're That's losing Dylan Vell, who played center as well, not a big deal. But that's the only concern I maybe see is like the up the middle stuff early on. If there's any concern about doing the fullback dives or even the uh, quarterback keeper or something up the middle on like third and three and shotgun. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I'm most interested to see whether the Falcons can maintain it or not is, you know, if anybody's ever been to footballstudyhall.com. First of all, if you haven't, I would suggest you do yeah, it. Yeah, One of the things that stood out to me in looking at Air Force's performance in the last couple of years is you know what Bill Connolly refers to as stuff rate, and it's pretty much exactly what it sounds like. The percentage of runs where the runner is tackled at or behind the line of scrimmage. In 2015, Air Force was fourth in the country, and in 2016 they were second. So, with the two guys they were they were replacing on the interior, and with the you know the running backs that are going to be stepping into these roles, I'm interested into whether they can maintain that level. And alternatively, I'm wondering whether they'll be able to improve 
what he what Quantily calls the power success rate, which is more or less just how successful they are in you know short yarded situations because they dropped from 20th to 40th from 2015 to 2016. If they can get back into that top 25 range, this offense is going to be just fine. But that would be something I would keep an eye on if I were an Air Force fan. Definitely. And I want to bring this one thing up as well. I'm, not, I'm looking at the current depth chart now that came out. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about Dylan Vale. He's not listed on the 2 deep at all. So I'm not entirely sure. Maybe I should look that up. But he's not listed as the, any out of the 10 offensive linemen not listed there. And actually, it's even fewer than 10. They only have nine guys listed on the offensive line than the two deep. Because they have Ernest uh, McQuaid listed twice under, like, two tackle positions. You must like, be could they have come different. And... <laughs> I, I don't know what's going on. Maybe uh, we'll look to that maybe while we're going here. But actually, even less because they have R.J. Slater. They only have eight offensive line listed. Because they have Jake Bernhorst starter, uh, Ryan Beveridge, who we kind of mentioned before, Alex Norton. Oh, there he is. Never mind. Oh, pfft. Scratch that. I was. I thought I had my screens overlapping. Dylanville graduated. Never mind. I. I apologize, people. Proceed. Not paying attention to what I say half the time. Okay. I forgive you. It's okay. I was looking. I was just scrolling through really quick. I'm like back and forth, back and forth. But yeah, that's just starting off with the lineman Griffin Landrum at guard, and so beverage, and then you have a Rast there as well. Who um, maybe he's a transfer because JC Rast is not listed on this uh, 2D pier, but. That's the James Rast. James Rast. There we go. Dang it! Why do people change their names? Stick with your name. <sighs> Should we move on to defense now? Let's do that. <laughs> this is the big concern. <laughs> you can just erase that part from memory, folks. But when they change names, what am I supposed to do? Right? Come on. When I'm going up, whatever. Control Defensive line. That's what you do. Yeah, control off. Whatever. Leave me alone. All right. So, defense. We've already. If you've heard us before, if you've heard any of our previous shows, if you hear anybody talk about this, they lose not just Weston Stillhammer, 10 starters off of this team. They lose their top five defensive back, four of their top five linebackers, and six of their top seven defensive linemen from last year. It's kind of a lot. (laughs) Yeah, the defensive line returns... um, 18 and a half tackles from last year, defensive line, out of every tackle. Of the three, that's 3% of the team. <laughs> that's, you know, that's still something. That is something, yeah. So how you feel about this Falcons defense going into this year, I think, you know, there's, there's two contrasting ways that you can look at this. Because on the one hand, yes, any team losing that amount of defensive production is probably going to take a step back. But, you know, with the constraints of the academy and how they bring up players, you know, in which we just kind of talked about with regards to the offensive line, it's probably a little bit less of a big deal than it would be elsewhere. But there are still questions that we'll, we'll get to, you know, in a few minutes that I've talked about with other teams and that I think still kind of linger over you know, what this defense is going to do this year. You would think so for what I said, but I am not going to say that for their defense, Part, partly because the reason the offense is, is perfectly fine year after year, because like I said, they have the, it's a similar offense. It's always the option play. There's not a ton of plays they have to know defense. It's always, it's different. You're not, yeah, your scheme's the same, but 
you're not running you're because basically defense is reactionary for the most part mm-hmm. because you, the other team has their play the offense knows what they're doing defense sort of does but they're not entirely sure every play but the defense has always been a concern for Air Force. Like, even when they've had good defenses, they still haven't been, like, great defenses. And so I'm still – I'm of the opinion, if they're going to beat teams this year, they're going to have to outscore them and or create a lot of, like, uh, field goals or turnovers on the defense. I, I'm not going to trust this defense to help them win any games. So where do you think that their strength is likely to be? Oh, geez. Um – I I don't know because they're losing two really good secondary players and still hammering Latipo, excuse me, Roland Latipo last year. The secondary always has a ton of tackles because they always they actually had more tackles than their linebackers for the comparing the top three top two players in secondary compared to the top two linebackers more tackles for the secondary. Mm-hmm. I guess I would say. The linebacker position because it's always a pretty good position for them because their one starter back is Grant Ross and he's a pretty good player. He had about 50 tackles, a couple of sacks, six and a half TFLs, a fumble, forced fumble. And they have a guy who they've had three other players who played a combined what, just about 30 games. The guys like Jack Floor and Shaquille Vereen and Blake mm-hmm. Daly. So I would say that's a pretty good, um, that's probably the best unit of just because of going by games played, returning. Every other position, secondary as well, like maybe secondary too because they play so many, but I'd go with linebacker just because the secondary has been hit or miss outside of – they've had a guys like Anthony Davis Jr. a couple years ago, Steel Hammer, obviously, and Roland Latipo. I would go linebacker, secondary, then defensive line. See, I think I mostly agree with you. I think that having a guy like Grant Ross in the middle is probably going to make the transition – a little bit easier but one thing i think is that you know yes they're going to be replacing their entire defensive line but in some respects that defensive line wasn't quite as good as it had been in years past like they aren't really losing that much production among the guys that they're replacing like lachlan deeks only had two tackles for loss you know samuel byers only had four and a half tackles for loss you know santo coppola only had two and a half tackles and, it, you know, they've got a couple of rangy guys who are stepping in at defensive end in, you know, Santo Coppola. Or, why is it saying so? Never mind. Santo Coppola is coming back. He's back, But I think, yes. but I think in a full-time role, he'll probably improve. Let me just transition to that and save myself. But, but here's the thing, real quick. But if they weren't that great last year, how do you expect the backups who couldn't beat these, out, beat, beat these guys out last year do any better? Well, is it a matter of beating them out? You'd hope, think, you'd hope so. Or is it a matter of next man up? Because I think that, you know, you've got two guys who are, you know, six foot four, six foot five, two eighty five, you know, at the defensive end position. Mm-hmm. Could you find another Alex Hansen in that group? Probably. Hope you'd hope so. There's just a lot of questions on the defense. Like it's given ten starters gone, but the production coming back who weren't starters last year, it's it's there in the linebacking group a little bit, but secondary brings back the most production because what they played their amount of games last year. But but then again, they're losing the guys who are making the plays, like pass breakups, sacks, and interceptions. They bring back one player out of the whole group who has a pass breakup in Marcus Griffin. All the interceptions came from the top 
um, secondary players who are back last year. In fact, they return. Maybe this is, I don't know if this is any sort of a FBS thing or at all, but out of the whole team coming back, there's no players who have an interception returning on this defense. I think that that could be significant because that's a question that I have raised with, you know, other teams in past podcasts is that, you know, losing a lot of experience in the defensive backfield can be significant. And when you're losing, you know, pretty much everybody who, you know, did much of anything last year, you know, they kind of held their own, I think, more often than not against the pass defense. Like, you know, they were middle of the pack as far as quarterback rating and, you know, middle of the pack in interceptions. But on the whole, you know, they give up, I think, more big plays last year than they did the year before. You know, they give up almost a yard more per attempt. And, you know, with four inexperienced guys back there, you know, the only guy I think who had any kind of extended playing time is Marquise Griffin. You know, those set, those safeties in particular, Garrett Coppola and Kyle Floyd, are going to have a lot on their plate trying to step into shoes that were, you know, multi-year starters. Because their secondary, like I said, was pretty good last year because you look at, like, the PBUs and interceptions and everything. Mm-hmm. So where do, where do you expect this defense to be? Because last year, when you look at let's just go to like scoring defense, they were pretty good at third in the conference, which is which is helpful. Even though they have those games, like when they played New Mexico, gave up forty plus points. I think Colorado State game, if I recall, they gave up forty points in that loss, or the excuse me, victory thirty eight versus San Jose State. So while the defense was third in the conference, they still had a lot of games that gave up over forty points. Then, what would you say like? Say so this defense is going to be fine if they give up thirty points per game, or kind of where do you think they'll be on that on that front for allowing points? Because they're playing in the Mountain Division where every quarterback's back in the conference. Mm-hmm. You would expect um, Utah State to be better. You've seen like during fall camp right now, New Mexico's actually throwing the ball a bit during fall camp, even though they, it's Lamar Jordan's job, and we'll see how much he actually throws. But not even just scoring defense. Like, what would you expect their defense to be? losing the production they are losing i don't know what i would expect them to be as far as scoring defense but i think what they should aim for is right around 28 points per game because in the last couple of years that's more they've been a shade under that like in 2015 they allowed 25 and a half points and last year it was a shade above 26 so you know if they can if they can replace all of those guys and, you know, take only a modest step back as far as actually giving up touchdowns, that, you know, would be probably Steve Russ's best defensive coordinator performance ever. It probably would. And then one other thing to consider before we get onto the schedule, they were plus six in turnover margin. And those interceptions, they had 15 on the defensive side of the ball. That this could be a concern where not that's luck factor, but is it going to turn the other way where they're plus six to zero, or even going toward negative because every like like I mentioned, they bring back no players who have an interception on this team. See, I think to me a bigger question would be how good are they going to be against the run, because last year they were very quietly number two in the conference as far as yards per carry allowed. 
Hmm. And they were the only other team that was under four yards of carry allowed to San Diego State. And we've talked at length about how good the Aztecs defense is going to be. So to me, I'm wondering, you know, if they take a step back to where they were in 2015, which, you know, they were still fourth in the conference then. They gave up about 4.2 yards per carry. You know, if there's that drop-off and, you know, if there's a little bit of a drop-off in how well they're able to defend the pass, is the offense going to be able to pick them up enough? To me, that's kind of the big question. Yeah, it is. I'm looking at those numbers. It's pretty amazing. They had four games where they gave up fewer than two yards per carry. And that includes 1.5 to Navy. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, they were legitimately great some weeks against the run last year. They held the Mexico under their average, and that was a 6.78. That the Mexico offense is just nuts. All right, so I maybe maybe I'm souring on the defense. Um, I I think well, I don't know. I'm leaning that way just because the production lost. What were they predicted again in the media day poll? Were they fifth? They were they were picked fourth Fourth. in the Mountain Division. That's right, just behind New Mexico. Or no, they're ahead of New Mexico. Man, that's. I don't know. We go back to listen to our media day podcast a couple weeks ago. I just trying to recall that, but I do there. I do recall they're a bit higher than I thought, but so we'll get to the schedule. Any special teams notes we need to uh, go over really quick. They do lose their uh, punter. Is that a big deal? I I mean, it kind of depends on your feelings about guys who handle both positions. Cause Luke Strabel, I believe is set to be both kicker and the punter. And we know he's pretty good at the kicking part. Like, I believe he was 22 of 25 last year on field goals. But as to how that translates to punting, we'll see. Really quick on punting, this is way off topic, but I know you tweeted out from our account recently, the sports on nerf, 10 worst games ever. Mm-hmm. Did you see the game, the Texas Tech game? 77 punts. Oh, my God. I can't even imagine. Multiple, like looking through. I forget who they played at some school in Louisiana. But they were first down punts. Back and forth, first down punts. Oh, <laughs> like it wasn't just punts. I don't understand. It was first down punt, first and ten punt. I'm like, what are you doing? Here's a question that I think will pique your interest. With Rashard Penny announcing he's likely to, or he's going to have a reduced role in kick returns, is Tim McVeigh the front runner to be a special teams player of the year? Assuming he's going to continue being that return person for the Air Force Academy. He's definitely in the mix. I think, you know, well, I'll keep it short. I think it's probably going to be either him, uh, Elijah Lilly in New Mexico, or Juwan Washington, who I assume is probably going to have a larger role in that regard. Okay, with the Aztecs there. Yeah. All right, so let's take a quick timeout, and we'll get to the schedule and start chatting about um, schedule, Air Force Falcons. Here we go. All right, now now that we're back to that bumbling transition there, thanks for listening, folks. Air Force Academy is projected at four wins. We've already both said the over, I think, multiple times. Mm-hmm. So they play VMI week one, bleh, victory. That's a win. Then here's what's terrible for Air Force. This is never, well, not always considered or looked into when people talk about how many wins they'll get because, they're like I mentioned, the size restriction weight what you can do how much they're 18 credits minimum all minimum less they get fewer practice amount of minutes per week due to all that scheduling their buy comes in a week two which is very unfortunate for them which is tough when they're going through league play 
But week two, they go to Michigan. <sighs> They're not going to be scared of Michigan. We both know this. No. It's Big Ten Network, 10 a.m. local time there in the academy. What what type of scare are they going to put into Michigan? Because no matter what Air Force does, they always teams always have struggles, always struggle with them. And Jim Harbaugh said during media days and things like, yeah, they're already spending, which teams do, a little bit of time here and there working on these type of offenses because they don't face anything like this in the Big Ten at all. Mm-hmm. There's only – what, four teams that run this exclusively? New Mexico, Air Force, Army, Navy, and Georgia Tech. What's that, five teams that run this type of offense? More or less, yeah. And so they're going to be – like, they're not going to win. We're I'm predicting a Michigan victory, but Michigan d- did lose a decent couple defenders. Like, Jabril Peppers is gone. And it's, it's just a learning curve. Like, it may take them a quarter to figure it out, but I wouldn't be surprised if Air Force is, like – first quarter first 20 minutes it's like a left either winning tied or like within a seven points either way yeah i mean because you know i remember the last time they went to michigan and played that game was a lot closer i think than the score i remember it was like 31 to 20 or something like that or 31 25 rather a couple years ago yeah and air force had chances to steal that game they just didn't really get a chance to come through down the stretch and Michigan, for as good as they're going to be, they're still going to have to replace four of their top six tacklers along the defensive line. And they're replacing basically the entire secondary. So, you know, if the Falcons can chew clock, you know, hold on to the ball, be as efficient as they have been in the last couple of years and just moving the chains and, you know, hit a home run pass once or twice... Who knows? I mean, I'm predicting a Michigan win as well, but I don't think that an upset bid is as far-fetched as a lot of you know people in Big Ten country especially might think. Yeah, it's a six-point game, 31-25 back in 2012. They played Michigan State in 2015, only a two-touchdown game. They played Oklahoma, if not for some stupid plays by Tim Jefferson, could have beat Oklahoma back in 2010 where it was uh, 27-24. And so they've always put scares into teams every year when they play this uh, type of offense. Like TCU is an exception back in 2011. I think that was the first year in the Big 12, 35-19. But it's it's going to be – yeah, it's going to be a matchup where, you know, Jim Harbaugh and everybody's going to take it seriously and go into it. But it's going to be a game where fans are going to be freaking out from Air Force. So how is it, say, 17-14 to 14 at halftime? Or how are we down ten to seven midway through the third quarter? I think if Michigan's going to win, it's going to be it's because they put the muscle to them and just kind of lean on Air Force and kind of push, push, push and get them. But I, if it's more than fourteen points, I might be I'll be mildly surprised if it's like a a three touchdown victory for for uh, Michigan. That sounds about right. And then the way the schedule works out, conference play week week four. Third game, they play San Diego State, man, at home. They get a chance to kind of shape the conference race right away, which I think is really fascinating. They sure do, yeah. And, you know, one thing that I noticed when I was, you know, researching for this podcast is Air Force in the past decade, like we talked about at the at the front of the show, like they they've always been fairly consistent. But more to the point, they've always been extremely tough at home. 
you know, 2007 or rather, excuse me, 2013 was the last time since 2007 that they had a losing season at home. So I'm fully expecting them to kind of give the Aztec defense fits in kind of the same way that they did in the 2015 title game. I'm expecting this game to be very, very competitive. I, I do as well. San Diego State, it'll be like again, it'll be early week three, meaning you know Rashard Penny's the guy. He's not he's he's while he's the new starter, there's nothing really new about him being back there. Mm-hmm. I th- I just think Air Force's defense isn't going to have enough to stop the running attack with Washington and Penning. If Christian Chapman's up to his worth where he says he's going to be taking his game to the next level, that secondary is going to have issues as well. But it's I think it's going to be again Air it, again it's hard to blow out Air Force, and I think that's what this game's going to be. I don't predict a vic- I'm not predicting a victory, but. I'd say Penny has a big game, and I'd expect Christian Chapman to have a pretty big, pretty big game as well. Going up against a secondary, that's not very good. Or projected to not be very good. See, I think this is the kind of game where they might get pushed on the ground more than they would have a year ago. Because I'm thinking about the games that they had against New Mexico and against Colorado State you know, in Wyoming. Who Those are three teams last year that you knew were going to like push the ball right down your throat. And it's probably not a coincidence that, you know, even though they held Wyoming just right under four yards of carry, that, you know, they lost to New Mexico in part because they couldn't stop the Lobos run game and they got pushed to the limit against the Rams. So it wouldn't surprise me if Penny and Washington end up having a really big game. The question I think it's just going to come down to is whoever has the ball last because... I'm fully expecting the Falcons to be able to get theirs against this San Diego State defense as well. Hmm. I wouldn't. I wouldn't go that far, like comparing it to like maybe the not the Cotton Bowl last year, where the Mexico and Air Force back and forth. I think that Aztecs defense is going to be just fine, and I think they'll win. Like, which one of those games where it may go touchdown, field goal, so it'd be like seven three, fourteen six, seventeen thirteen, something like that, where it's just the Aztecs are in control the whole game, but it won't be any sort of blowouts. Like it might end up being like a seven or ten point victory at most. Yeah, I mean, I have I have this as an Aztecs win. Um, we talked about this briefly in our San Diego State podcast, mm-hmm. but I'm fully expecting it to be like a thirty four to thirty one game where the Aztecs escape. Well, I'm kind of same thing there with you. That it'll just be like a close enough game, but Aztecs will get more touchdowns compared to field goals or something like that. Like they'll make like expect the Aztecs to make like a stop where Air Force probably won't. Yeah. All right, so it does shape the conference pretty big because they have Aztecs that week, and they play New Mexico. It's the game the um, Air Force gave up last year to go to Dallas. They go to Albuquerque. Let's see if fans show up, but this is a game, like, don't miss this game. If you look it up in last year, it was combined almost 90 points. But this is going to be a matchup where it's run after run, and this is the game where I think whoever has the ball last is going to win. Oh, yeah, definitely. And so don't sleep on this game at all. If you get a chance, it's on CBS Sports Network. If you get a chance to watch it, definitely do so. And it's just one of those matchups where if you like the running game, if you're – also, another thing, don't take too many bathroom breaks because this game will go by quickly. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Assuming they stay in bounds, right? Yeah, I mean, they probably will, though. But, yeah, I – there's not much to say besides you want to watch this game because what they can do, if you appreciate the running attack, 
you should watch this matchup for what it's worth because, like I said, it has all the aspects in there for the running game that you want to see. I, hmm, I don't know who's going to win this game because it's going to be, it's a tough one to peg because New Mexico also loses a million players on defense as well. I have this one as an Air Force win, but honestly, this is about as 50-50 as it gets. I have it as a loss for Air Force. And when you look at the advanced numbers, like the projection of S&P and everything, it's a not quite a 50-50, but a 42, 50, or 42% chance for Air Force to win. I'm assuming that 8% is because it's at Albuquerque. Yeah, I mean, I think that both of these defenses have similar kinds of questions, but... You know, I'm I'm thinking a little bit about past precedents, and I give the Falcons a little bit more of a benefit of the doubt, even though they're replacing so many guys. Hmm. So, who's going to have more rushing yards this game, Air Force or New Mexico? Oh my God, <laughs> that's an important <laughs> question to answer because they're both Fine. going to have a lot. All right, let's move on. Let's okay. just hope it's an exciting game like last year in the Cotton Bowl because that was a pretty pretty good game in front of dozens of people. Yes. <laughs> All right, <laughs> and not false, dozens upon dozens. Um, so you got didn't go to Navy. Navy's supposed to be a little okay, like seventy first, middle of the pack. They're only given the Falcons, I should say, twenty just a twenty one percent chance to uh, beat the midshipmen. But as I mentioned earlier, they allowed or gave up only one and a half yards per carry. Or let me rephrase that. Navy only was able to rush for one and a half yards per carry against this team, this Falcons defense, which to do that to Navy, it's pretty impressive. They had fewer than a hundred yards as well on the ground. Navy probably is not going to have to pull, not going to have to pull a guy from the stands to play quarterback, but Falcons have also won this game. What? Two years in a row or no, sorry, two of the last three and have the commanders in chief trophy the past two years. It's never easy to go back East though true and in looking at historical record they've only won once in annapolis since 2003 that is that correct is that hmm. that is correct my I just wikipedia went reference and, and looked up the rivalry yeah. finder i'm at the wikipedia page it doesn't you think it mentioned the at location for the game it just mentioned who won or what who won or lost in that year and and they won by exactly one point that year hmm. so I mean and we both know that Navy is going to be a pretty good team you know they're and they're going to be familiar with this offense in a way that a lot of other teams aren't so I mean you know even though they're losing their quarterback in Will Worth I think that you know they actually have a lot of the same kinds of questions that that Air Force does that they're losing you know, a guy like Sean White, who had 450 yards last year, they're losing three of their top four running backs from a year ago. They're losing their top receiver from a year ago. Kind of interesting, these parallels, now that I'm actually looking at what they have coming back. So you're saying it's a uh, toss-up game. That's what you're getting at. I mean, it seems kind of, like, repetitive at this point, but it, I feel like it kind of is, like... I think their home field advantage is probably going to end up being the difference. Hmm. It's it's obviously clearly stated what the record was Air Force versus Navy. 
they've always been close. Um, we'll just have to wait and see this because when you look at who Navy plays, they play Ford Atlantic, Tulane, Cincinnati. Week before they play Tulsa, which will be a pretty big game as well. But there's a reason Navy's getting the the gigantic projected margin of victory of seventy nine percent, and it's at home. And then also, like these running ta- running attacks are basically the same. Uh, one thing I would mention, like well, you already did mention, the running backs are losing. I would say the one edge they have, Air Force has, is that while Navy does bring back like guys like Chris High and uh, Zach Aby there, they're both their, or excuse me, sorry, not Zach Aby, that's the quarterback, Chris High, and then um, Daryl Bonner, those guys haven't rushed as well as Tim McVeigh. So I wonder if McVeigh, like looking at now, he might be the key reason Air Force could get to victory, because he just keeps rushing and rushing, but. Man, I don't. I I went with Navy because who they bring back defensively. That's probably my difference on there because the running attacks, what Air Force did last year to them is something that's pretty rare that happens in this series, and mm. I don't think Navy. I don't think Navy can do that to Air Force with the returning talent they have. But they have more defenders back, and that's a pretty big deal despite this being nearly midseason. But my projection was. Let me make sure I'm correct in here. Oh no, I did not go that way. I went actually at Navy uh, Air Force victory. What do you know? <laughs> See, I don't go think fa- go Falcons. <laughs> I don't think that they're going to force Navy into thirty-one pass attempts again either. I think that kind of makes a difference as well. Yeah, Navy had those quarterback issues last year we mentioned, so that's probably that doesn't help. But I mean, again. I'm, I feel like I'm sounding repetitive. It's not going to shock me if Air Force goes on the road and wins this game. They could get it done. I, I don't know why I picked Air Force, but I'm sticking with it. All right, next week they play UNLV at home, uh, going up against um, Armani Rogers. Which means Cam Newton. <laughs> I knew you were going to bring that. What was that name somebody put on Twitter? Carmani Newt, Newt Roger or something? Carmani? I didn't they actually com- see that myself. They, com- they combined both names together. Carmani's new Roger, whatever. Yeah, please. He's not. We'll retire, we'll retire these jokes in another week or two. We promise. <laughs> Unless, um, no. I think if he's terrible, we have to keep the joke going. Is that fair? No, or that's not fair. Mean. That's Does that mean? mean? Yeah. We'll we'll anyway. play it by. Ear. I think you're correct. We'll play it by ear. But I think once the season begins, let's actually judge him or go off what he actually does in the field. Right? That's fair. But, I mean, speaking of Armani Rodgers, I think that, you know, if he is the quarterback, he's probably going to be the key to how this game plays out because, you know, with all these questions that we talked about in the defensive backfield for Air Force, you know, they may be more susceptible against good quarterbacks than they were a year ago. And if Rodgers can be adequate that could make UNLV a very dangerous team to face week in and week out. I think so. And they have like Charles Williams, Lexington Thomas, the dual running backs, Devontae Boyd. They have more weapons that they can beat you with, assuming Ro- or Yeah, Ro- not <laughs> they can get the name mixed up, Rodgers and Newton. If Rodgers can... If he's anywhere close to what people think he's going to be, the offense will be pretty good. Because last year they had so many quarterback issues. Don't sneak came in, he moved, injuries, he played wide receiver at some point, half the receiving crew was down. I am, while I don't think, if you look at, listen to our last shows, I didn't predict UNLV to be go bowling, but they're a team that's going to surprise somebody at some point in the year. And 
they are progressing the right way under Tony Sanchez, but they're playing at Air Force, and their defense doesn't really inspire me that they'll stop this option attack, and I'm, that's why I'm picking Air Force. Yeah, and that's more or less my reasoning as well. All right, then they go they go to Nevada, which even before James Butler left, I said is a victory for Air Force. I'm sticking with that because until that Nevada defensive line could show me something, I'm not picking them to stop a wet paper bag. And I mostly agree, but again, you know, if the passing game does click, you know, because we know it's going to be a pass-heavy offense even without James Butler. The pack attack. Yeah. That could make for a recipe for an upset. So that would be something I would watch. But did you pick that? I did not. Good good call. I did not pick that. It is in Reno, which has one of the best home field advantages in all football, but still. Then the next game that's going to be pretty crazy on the schedule here is they go to Colorado State. And it's not considered an in-state rival like you would think it would be. But this is it's going to be, again, it's going to be one of the games that can shape the conference because they've already played at this point uh, San Diego State, maybe not the division, and New Mexico. And New Mexico, like I said, be a challenge. They'll be in the mix as always. But playing at CSU, that rush defense, like I said, last year the Utah State games when they finally pick things up. But this could be a game where we know Kinsey, Marvin Kinsey's back. Is, is he going to be playing a lot more this year? Because there's the ACL. He's already basically practicing in full right now at fall camp. That gives him a third running back in this game. Just another guy to rotate in there and just kind of beat up on that Air Force defensive line. To me, it's all about the pass defense. You think so? Because let's not forget that Air Force kind of stole that game last year. And that might have been Nick Stevens' best game of the year because he completed over 75% of his passes and he had 374 yards on just 29 attempts. And somehow they still lost that game. Yeah, 49-46. And it would not surprise me if he had a similar kind of performance because, you know, you mentioned the running game, but, you know, Michael Gallup, B.C. Johnson, those two guys are probably going to pose a really serious challenge for this Falcon in the secondary. Yeah, I'm picking the Rams to win, and I I think that could be right. Like, secondary, they do bring back some talent, but... I think they also want revenge, too, because in my prediction for CSU, remember, folks, I am sitting at 11-1 going to the conference undefeated. They get this game at home, and I still think Air Force has enough because it's kind of the opposite. The Rams bring back nearly everybody. Air Force mm-hmm. does not. And so it's going to be a loss for Air Force. Then they go to Arm. They play Army at home. Is it too simple to say that's a victory and move on to the next game? I mean, I think Army is going to be pretty good. But I kind of have this as I have this as a victory for Air They've Force. Beating them pretty convincingly, even on Army last year is pretty good. They beat Temple. They went eight and five last year. Went to a bowl game, and they beat Navy as well. I remember that too in the final game of the year. They actually finished with uh, winning three in a row and uh, four of their last six games, and one of those was Air Force in Notre Dame. Well, like, let's not forget pretty- last year that the Army was in a, within a touchdown you know, late in the third quarter. And they do have a lot coming back on the offensive side of the ball. You know, they have Ahmad Bradshaw coming back. You know, not a great passer, but he does exactly what they need him to do as a runner. He had almost 900 yards last year. 
And they've got everybody coming back in their backfield, so it could be a challenge. Yeah, Army's gotten better. May is kind of a poor joke on what they've done before, but I'd still, being at home, that's where I give them the edge this time around. But it's I don't know. I think I closed the tab out. Do you have what the historical record is recently between these two te- these two teams? Uh, I'm trying to look. I don't have that in front of me. Give me a, if I you know, want to talk for me, I can look it up. Well, I know it's been give. Uh, yeah, I know it's been a while that they've Army's been really good, and so. I don't know, but I think you are correct saying that. Well, they went eight and five last year. They returned this talent, and but I'll just go back to be the home where that's why Falcons are victorious because Army. I don't even know the last time they beat them in Colorado Springs. Uh, Army has won twice since nineteen ninety seven. So twice in twenty years. Yep. Give me the Falcons. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, maybe know. I was maybe I was correct about saying let's move on and say they win. Kind of hard to argue with that logic. All right, then they they go they play Wyoming and this is an interesting game because Air Force beat Wyoming when Wyoming like they've had that weird upset wasn't it like three years ago. One of their two victories was against Wyoming or something, or was it the other way around? Was are you talking about the two and ten season? Yeah. No, they got their heads kicked in. What was the year where they – some weird – was it – oh, I think it was a Brian Hill's first year where he they came out somehow beat Air Force, I think. Or am I just way off? That would have been 2015. But Air Force still won that year, so I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> there's just some – I thought there was some weird upset between these two teams years ago. Uh, oh, it was the 10-win 10, 10 year in 2014. They lost to Wyoming 17-13. to 13. That's what it was. Ah, Okay. I knew there's something like that on the line there. So, three years ago, trying to go back to the time machine. But this game, like this matchup, I would, out of their entire schedule, this might be one of the more compel- most compelling games. I know they got Navy, they got CSU, but they get Wyoming at home late in the year. And, well, Air Force, I don't think they're not going to win the division, I don't think. But this could be a game that might mean more for Wyoming than Air Force, but. I'm going to give the edge to Wyoming partly because they have Josh Allen, C.J. Johnson, that passing game, even though I haven't been high on them, should be pretty good. Air Force is going to be, be beat up at this point in the year and probably have a few guys injured or not fully healthy just because they go, what, 10 straight weeks almost without a bye. September 9th will be their bye. They'll, they'll have played nine straight games up to that point. I have this one as an Air Force win. Why is that? I mean, I think that, you know, Josh Allen is probably going to have a pretty good game, but I do have questions about Wyoming's running game. And if they can force the Cowboys to be one-dimensional, you know, even despite those questions, you know, we know Josh Allen can implode every so often. And we know that Air Force is probably going to get theirs on the ground against this defense, which I think is going to be pretty good one way or another. And I think this is probably the kind of game that sneaks up on the Cowboys. You think so? I think so. It's on the road, so you think... And Well, I'm going to say, well, I've already said Wyoming's not as great. Maybe you're right, because week before, you see their previous three opponents for Wyoming has played at Boise, New Mexico, and CSU, then Air Force. That's a pretty big stretch. I mean, I think that could explain part of it, yeah. But I think also that... 
you know, Wyoming struggled a little bit against the run last year, especially late in the year. And, you know, I'm just not certain that they'll be able to do that two years in a row because if you go back to what they did in 2015, you know, that was when Air Force, you know, they, they still beat Air Force, but Air Force was able to get, you know, over five yards of carry. And I think if they can do that again, they could make it problematic for the Cowboys. I know they will make it problematic, but I think like the Wyoming defense might be the third best in the league behind CSU and San Diego State. I'll probably but again, regret this, but that's okay. Hey, that's I've, I've made this, I made this. I made this prediction weeks ago, and I can't back out of it now. It's not far fetched, but they're at home. They play better at home. Their running attack always gives teams trouble, but I just think Wyoming has a bit more and will take care of business. Or, I mean, yeah, well, I mean, well, yeah, sorry. And then you got Boise State. That's a loss, I'm thinking, as well. They're not going to make it three in, a, three in a row versus the Broncos. Would you Would you believe me if I said that I think they can? But did you pick that? I did. <laughs> You're going crazy. They're going to beat Wyoming and Boise back-to-back weeks. I think you underestimate that the offense can keep them in a lot of games this year. Or... I underestimate Boise State finally learning the triple option defense. <laughs> I mean, that could be it too. Just saying that that's a thing that people they've they're asked about after losing to New Mexico and Air Force three of the last four games. I mean, they're gonna have to figure it out eventually, right? Do they? I would think so. <laughs> Maybe. I it's I'm just going Boise State just because track record. Well, I shouldn't say track record, but being at home. And, again, I'll go back and say, like, they played nine, 11 straight games end season. This is game 10 of 11 in a row at this point. And, or also, I should, even more simpler, more simply, I should say, Brett Rippon to Cedric Wilson all night long. That may be true, but if Air Force can be as efficient as they were in last year's game, where they weren't necessarily explosive... They did run the ball 77 times against Boise State. <laughs> that could be significant. Also, don't have Boise fumble at the two-yard line trying to score. That Maybe too. stay away from those QB sneaks, guys. Just saying, Jack Hill, make a different play call. Exactly. Uh, but I'm going to Boise to win. You're going to Air Force. Final game of the year, Utah State. It's at back home at CSU. Or not CSU, sorry. Colorado Springs. Same thing, CS, right? Um, I, Jeremy said that, not me. Yeah, you could send to Jeremy Moss, Twitter there. Um, I'm predicting, hey, I'll make up for it and say Air Force victory. Okay. They'll end the season, and for me, they'll get them to six victories and be bowl eligible at six and six. I also have that Utah State game as a win for Air Force, which for me puts them at eight and four and six and two in the division. Man, six and two. We need to, in two weeks, we're going to have our big time preview show. We need to go over these uh, more closely, like the division standings, because I didn't do that. I just put my record overall, but my uh, league league oh. record would be let's see, two losses because I got San Diego State, New Mexico loss, Colorado State loss. I have them three and five in league play. You may not have figured out your divisional standings, but I have. Didn't I, was I not correct on my three and five? No, 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 I'm just saying. Oh, okay. So I didn't write them down. That's what I mean. I just put my overall I, record. I, I figured out my wins and losses, and I figured out how those tiebreakers would break out. And 
at least in in my predictions, Air Force would finish second in the division. Well, good for you for being the smarty pants and preparing. <laughs> I'm just no, not not a smarty pants. Just an obsessive who's probably going to be wrong somewhere along the line. So it happens, whatever. It happens. But the Utah State game, like unless Kent Myers and Tony Lindsay have some big time stuff going on, and Ron Qua- Ron Tavian Carver, Ron Tavian Carver, <laughs> Ron <Quavian> Tarver. <laughs> Sorry, that's not an easy name. Give me some, give me some, give me crap. I don't care. I say names wrong all the time. Okay. If those guys get going, it'll they'll be they'll, they'll. I think Utah State will be better than last year on offense. But I think if they're going to beat Air Force, they need to have some sort of running game because last year the running game was just pitiful. And it's week twelve end of the year. Who knows? We'll see what happens. All right then. So that's our Air Force show, which is a little lengthier than I thought it'd be. We're already at uh, seventy-one minutes right now. And we have one show left. We're going to talk UNLV next week. Should be a good one. Should be a good one. UNLV who stole multiple players from the Fresno area in recruiting, I might add. Yeah, but everybody does that these days. Oh! (laughs) Jeff Tedford, right? I'm not concerned. Not anymore? Eh. We'll see. We'll see that, but so that's the show for tonight. Anything, anything you need to add about Air Force or anything else we need to mention? Uh, if you haven't signed up for our fantasy football Mountain West edition leagues yet, you should probably do that because by the time this is out, the window of opportunity is going to be very close to being closed. So please go to our P- our Patreon page, Patreon.com/slash/MWCWire. We got different tiers set up. So if you're a fan of taking other people's money and looking like a genius, this is a really good opportunity to do that and help us do cool stuff in the long run. Bragging rights if you beat me or Matt or whomever's in your league. Yes. Hey, also, be blast for it. We have a high roller one, essentially, $100 per person league. You want in on that? We give the people what they want. Four easy payment to $25. Hey, you <laughs> know what, you know what though that's going to help us do a lot of good stuff in the long run so if you want to put your money where your mouth is you can do a lot for us and for yourself maybe if you win exactly so the way it works really quick a quick a few more details on that half the money goes to to well half the money helps the website the other half goes to winner take all however if a, a staff writer wins i don't get the money matt doesn't get the money Second place gets some money, so win-win, right? Yeah. So just yeah, just check all that out. So support us there: Twitter, Facebook, collegefootballnews.com backslash MWC Wire. And also, real quick, uh, check out our page. Um, we have a little sponsor page if you want to get some stuff from Texture, um, Blue Apron, like food. We did have a food question we didn't get to. Do you have a recipe, a favorite fried chicken recipe, Matt? Yes, it's called get in my car and go to a supermarket. I was gonna just—you made my joke for me. I was gonna say go to KFC or something. I no, don't go to KFC. Do not. Well, just, do. I just meant you know, meant going out to get in somewhere. Everybody knows. Everybody knows KFC, so I don't. I'm, I'm, do, I don't do the cooking. So just, apologies for my lack of knowledge in this regard. Does this mean? Does this mean we need to get you a Blue Apron subscription so you can learn how to cook? It couldn't hurt. Hey, if you do that from us, I think we have a deal where it's like three meals free or something. It's pretty good stuff. So they'll give you the exact instructions on how to cook. But back to fried chicken. Is it 
Isn't it kind of hard to get a bad fried chicken? Yes, it is very hard to get a bad fried chicken. Hmm. I guess you're right. I went to some place recently where it was overbreaded and overcooked a little bit. That's tragic. It was basically all bread and no chicken. Because <laughs> it's like, I think it was more of a chicken tender what it was, like chicken and waffles. But they made it so bready for the batter, and it's overcooked to the bit. But I'll just say this. If you get a good fried chicken, nothing beats that. That could be my, like, my, my probably, my most favorite food to get is, like, getting a good, like, carnita burrito or something or a soft taco like that. But if you get a good piece of, like, a good chicken breast or something, nothing beats that. I agree. So, sorry. Um, it was it came from our buddy Fake Matt Mummy on Twitter. That's who sent it in. So, hope you listen to it. And sorry, we have no recommendations for you. Just go to recipe.com or something or cooking.com and find it. Or, or ask Alexa what the best fried chicken recipe is. So, because I, I don't make fried chicken, I just go somewhere and get it for me because it's something that's, like you said, if you can make it right yourself, it's good. But if not, it can go south in a hurry. Amen. All right, so that's our show. Our show for tonight. One more show, UNLV football. Uh, check it out next um, next week and subscribe. iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Blog Talk Radio. Search Mountain West Wire. All that fun stuff. And so, yeah, give us a review. We want a review. Let us know how we're doing. Like I say, even if we're terrible, Matt, we still want the five stars, right? And you can tell us exactly how terrible we are. You can tell me how to say Rontavian Quarver. Is that it? Or is it Rontavian Tar? <laughs> Jeremy, <laughs> we're biased against your correct pronunciations. Uh, all right, folks, next time. Yeah, we're biased against your team. <laughs>